Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas and that you are looking forward to the new year. Can you believe, can you believe that it is almost 2020, like it's the end of the decade? Why do I feel like the beginning of the 2000s until now is just like not a time period? I don't, you know, like I don't know what to call it. Early 2000s, the teens, I don't, what do you call the beginning of the 20th century? The teens. I guess the turn of the century. It's it's crazy. It's crazy that we are here. I was talking to someone the other day and I was like, do you remember 20 years ago, the beginning of Y2K and all of the stuff that we thought was going to happen? I was seven. I was almost eight. So I was kind of like mini in a mini way, M-I-N-I, not M-A-N-Y, freaking out about what was going to happen. Was the world really going to end? We thought the computers we're going to shut down. And I remember because New Year's Eve when I was little, when I was growing up, was always a really big deal to only me. No one in my family cared about New Year's Eve except for me. And I would like really want my parents to like throw some kind of like celebration or something. So I would make these like paper bags uh, for everyone that they were supposed to like blow up or, you know, blow into or something like that uh, when the ball dropped. I'm pretty sure my parents for a really long time before I wised up would just let me watch the ball that actually happened at 11 p.m. Central Time in New York rather than allowing me to actually stay up until until midnight. But I do remember on uh, in 2000, I do remember New Year's Eve watching the TV and watching the news in our game room and the guy, the reporter, like picking up a payphone to see if the payphone still worked because we thought that Y2K, everything was going to stop working, I guess, including the payphones. And I remember him being like, oh, the payphone still works. Oh, we still had electricity. Yes, our computer and our internet and all of that stuff uh, was still was still working. It's so funny. It's so funny to think how we thought that, how we believed that back then. And we would never believe that now. We look back, it's just 20 years ago, we look back and we're like, hardy, har, har. I can't believe that we once bought into that. What are the things that we are buying into now that 20 years, uh, 20 years from now, we're going to be like, wow, I can't believe that we actually thought that was true. That's what I'm hoping happens with all of the craziness that's going on in our world right now. Like I hope in 20 years, we'll be like, wow, I can't believe some people tried to pretend that you could just change sexes by identifying to something else. I can't believe that back then we believed in a million different genders. I can't believe back then that we thought that abortion was acceptable and now technology has advanced so much that we just can't even stomach the idea of abortion happening. Gosh, I hope, that's my prayer, that in 20 years, we'll be able to look back and say, I cannot believe some of the things that we believed just two decades ago, as I am doing right now, thinking back to the craziness of Y2K. 20 years. It makes me feel old that I can remember something that happened 20 years ago. If you can do the math, I'm 27 now. So for me to be able to think back two decades and have actual tangible, like clear, vivid memories of something that happened, it makes me feel very aged. Uh, my hope and my prayer is that the next decade and the next decade after that are 
wonderful times for the church, that they are wonderful times for our country, that some kind of spiritual uh, awakening, who knows, could happen within the church. That doesn't mean that Christianity becomes mainstream in politics and culture, but it does mean that the gospel is taking root and is bearing fruit. The gospel always bears fruit, by the way. It never returns void but, uh, or you know what I mean, that the word of God never returns void and the gospel always accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish. That doesn't mean that everyone hears it, accepts it, of course. Uh, but maybe, maybe over the next 10 to 20 years, that will be something that happens at least within the church. That could mean that the church is still on the margins of society, but the church thrives in the margins. If Christianity uh, continues to be persecuted, at least in the American way that it's persecuted here in the United States, that's going to be okay. The church is still going to thrive. Of course, we should take advantage of and we should thank God for free speech and freedom of religion while it lasts. But even if those things go away, the church is going to thrive. The church is going to survive. The gospel is going to continue to be spread as it is in countries who don't have the same liberties uh, that we do. But maybe over the next 10 to 20 years, we can see that kind of awakening as the gospel just continues to spread like wildfire. Before we get into that, I do want to tell you guys about Simply Safe. This is what we use to protect our home. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but on average, a burglary happens once every 23 seconds in the United States, approximately 2 million burglaries are reported a year in the U.S. What's crazy is that only one in five homes have home security. I don't know if your home does, but you should definitely be getting some uh, because this is the reason why most people don't have it. Maybe it's the reason for you because most security companies don't make it easy. There's complicated installation sales people there and sales people. There's long-term contracts full of hidden fees. There's monthly fees and all that. So you just don't want to deal with it. But that is not the case with Simply Safe. That is why Simply Safe is my choice for home security because it really is simple. It's comprehensive. It's professional. It's effective. Right now is your last chance to access their holiday savings. Our relatable listeners get a free security camera plus 25, 25% off your security system to start the new year. Simply Safe offers 24/7 professional monitoring, a smart lock and video doorbell uh, defend to defend your front door, an arsenal of sensors and cameras that cover every inch of your home. Simply Safe also gives real-time video confirmation to police in the event of a break-in, so police respond up to 3.5 times faster. That's amazing. That could be literally a matter of life and death. So uh, Simply Safe really very rarely, very rarely, and I mean that honestly does something this big. This is such a huge sale for them. It's like maybe not once in a lifetime, but pretty close to that. So make sure that you go to simplysafe.com slash Allie to get that 25% off plus a free HD security camera. That is simplysafe.com slash Allie. It ends January 7th. So go there now. Now, I would love for the gospel and Christianity to affect uh, society, to affect uh, the laws here. And of course, when people hear that, they're like, separation of church and state. Psh! Separation of church and state, as Jeff Durbin has said on this podcast, is not the same thing as separation of God and law. There is no foundation for right and wrong or what should be a law or what shouldn't or what morality is without God as our moral authority. There's just not. That doesn't mean that you believe that the church should actually be dictating what every law is, but it also doesn't mean that you have to separate the idea of 
uh, biblical morality from law. That just, it wouldn't even make any sense to do that. The only reason we have the laws that we do that protect the dignity of a human being is because the founders believed in a creator who gave us inalienable rights. So I would love the recognition of people as image bearers of God to be reflected in our laws more and more over the next 20 years, all of this kind of also can maybe possibly depend on your eschatological views as well. But no matter what you believe, whether you're post-mill, pre-mill, all of that, I've actually addressed it on the podcast before, you can still hope and pray uh, for uh, not just good things for the church, but also good things for our country. We're supposed to be praying for whoever is in power, whether they're Democrat or Republican anyway. And so we should absolutely be praying for those things and praying for their wisdom and praying that they would be obedient to God and that they would fulfill their Romans 13 responsibilities, uh, responsibilities of carrying out justice against the wrongdoer. So that's my hope for the next decade and in two decades kind of hard to even imagine what a 2040 would look like. I just, all I'm hoping is that we don't continue down this crazy train of far leftism. And I don't think that we will. Someone asked me the other day, they said they had someone come to there, I think it was a college classroom and ask or tell them that one day we won't have any gender and everyone will be who they just want to be. And this person asked me, do I think that that will happen? And my answer is no. No, I don't think that that will happen because truth is a stubborn thing. Biology is a stubborn thing. Science is a stubborn thing that no matter how uh, our, our, you know, social trends or social new social preferences want to change scientific reality, we just can't do it. We cannot do it. Uh, And so I, I think that there will be not just a cultural pushback from people like me, from people like us who know that God has made male and female, period. Yes, there are the very few people who unfortunately are born intersex, but that is a that's a problem, that is a disorder, that is not a rule for everyone who is not intersex, that they can just choose their gender however they want to. So there's not going to just be a cultural pushback, not just going to be a church-wide pushback, but there's going to be a scientific pushback, especially as we see the physical, the tangible repercussions of people who are changing their sex, especially those who change their sex at a young age, or, you know, change their sex. You can't change your sex, but who are undergoing surgery in order to correspond with with what they believe is their gender identity. And so they're changing parts of their body, mutilating parts of their body in order to be in line with what they perceive as their gender identity. And you're going to see the negative effects that this is having, not just on children, but also on adults years down the line. It really hasn't been long enough for us to be able to see the widespread effects. We do already see people popping up. I had a conversation with Walt Heyer who transitioned from a man to a woman or, you know, I'm using their terms, but we all know that that's biologically impossible, who transitioned from a man to a woman and then transitioned back to a man and who now speaks out about these things and who helps people who are, uh, who have transitioned and are still unsatisfied because this is not the treatment for gender dysphoria, affirming their dysphoria. And sometimes, as Walt Heyer has said, it's not actually gender dysphoria at all. They have other things that are going on in their lives that are causing this kind of psychological confusion. And it's very sad. These people are suffering, whether 
whether they are latching on to transgenderism because of the social phenomenon uh, that has surrounded it or because they genuinely have some kind of psychological thing going on in their mind. They obviously deserve our compassion and they deserve our attention. But the least compassionate thing that we could do is to just say, here's some hormones, here's some surgery. We don't even want to really listen to what's going on in your life or what could psychologically be wrong with you or the trauma that maybe you endured or the factors that could be influencing you here. We don't want to hear any of that. Here's some hormones. Here's some uh, genitalia mutilating surgery. Off you go. Now we can use you as a pawn for our uh, political gains. I just don't think that's going to last very long. There is no historical evidence whatsoever that societies, that any societies, not just Western societies, can exist without some kind of, without some kind of understanding of male versus female. There's just not, this is not like a, a westernized, Americanized thing that we just created this uh, gender dichotomy, this binary of male and female. This has been existent in civilizations throughout history. And this does not mean, again, I've said this so many times, this does not mean that all men have to fit one definition of masculinity. Yes, there is a range that men can, some men are more sensitive. Some men like romantic movies. Some men like to dance. Some men like to go to museums and watch ballet. And some men like fashion even. Like that's fine. That is one form of masculinity. There are other men who just want to hunt and just want to form wheel and four wheel and they want to play football. There are some men who like to do both. And then on the female side, there are some women who like all the sports and the mud and the whatever. And then there are women who you would call traditionally female who are extremely, uh, you know, they're into the traditionally female stuff, whatever that is, whether it's fashion or dance or design or all of that. So yes, there is some crossover. That does not mean that a man who likes fashion or whatever it is, something that's traditionally female, is then a woman or is even what they would call gender queer or is somewhere in between. It just doesn't make any sense. These people who say that there's no bi binary are constantly trying to categorize people as something they biologically are not. Um, now, I will say, like I did a video for PragerU, about the importance of masculinity. And yes, it is important for men to be masculine. Of course it is. But masculine, especially as the Bible defines it, does not mean necessarily playing football and hunting. It can, but that's not what masculine means. A, a masculine man, according to the Bible, is one who is, yes, uh, a warrior in many senses. They are providing for their family. They are persevering uh, in the midst of trial. They are protecting. They are, like I said, providers. They are, at the end of the day, the ones responsible for their families, for their communities. Uh, they are the need meter. They are the hunters. They are the gatherers. They are the ones who do not shirk responsibility, but who are on the front lines, not just in a military sense, but also front lines for their families, front lines for their town, their communities, whatever it is. That is what it means to be a biblical man. You take spiritual responsibility. You take physical responsibility. You take financial responsibility. That is on your shoulders. Uh, so, and that, within that, 
of course, there are uh, there is freedom for uh, your personality and your preferences and things like that. In that, you know, David obviously was a poet. He obviously was a songwriter. He was obviously an instrumentalist. He was extremely emotional in his conversations with God. Extremely passionate in his conversations with God, and uh, he was every bit a man. He was a mighty man of God. He was God. He was after God's own heart. So um, I think it's important for Christians, obviously, to hold to this dichotomy of male versus female and understanding that the societal expect, the secular societal expectations of what it means to be a male and female are always going to be contradictory and muddled and kind of weird. Um, but we can always go to the word of God to say, okay, God did create the male and female. Here's what a, a male needs to be responsible for. Here's what a female needs to re be responsible for. And here's what that looks like. And there is a lot of, there's a lot of freedom uh, within that, within that boundary, within that dichotomy, which is really beautiful as men and women fulfill their very unique and God-given roles. So all that to say, whether you believe in God or not, we are still created male and female, and that is biologically true, and there are moral implications for that. And I think because that is always true and always going to be true no matter what, that literally, like, we have to have that dichotomy in order for humanity to exist I do not think there's going to be a day will, where one day we just don't have gender. I mean, can you imagine? I can't, I can't even imagine that how that is going to affect the medical community. I read some article the other day. I was looking up some symptom for something, and uh, it said, I won't even say the genitalia, but it said person with a blank. I'm like, you mean a man. You mean a man. Okay, so that's already happening. I just don't think it's going to happen for long. And I don't think that we as Christians should give in to that. We shouldn't give in to that by saying, um, by, you know, conceding their language. We speak the truth in love. Of course, we're gentle and we are compassionate with all of that. But uh, we don't need to seed any ground on that craziness because it's not true. And as Christians, we are to be lovers of truth. That is not at all what I planned on talking about today. I did not mean to spend any amount of time on that. That's not what this episode is about. But before we actually get into that, I do want to tell you guys about a new sponsor I have, and I'm so excited about this. I'm going to tell you guys about Daily Harvest. Have you guys heard of Daily Harvest? I love Daily Harvest. Let's face it, New Year's resolutions do not always stick, especially the ones that focus on health because those require the most work. Uh, I still not have been as disciplined as I've wanted to be. After I had the baby, I told myself, okay, after I give birth, it's going to be easy. I'm going to go back to eating all of the things, you know, all the healthy things that I, that I ate before I was pregnant. When I was pregnant, it was like tacos and Chick-fil-A all the time. And I told myself it'll be so easy to snap back has not been very easy. So one of my resolutions is to eat more vegetables. It's not just to take some certain things away. It's to eat more vegetables and to be more cognizant of what I'm putting in my body. And a way I'm going to do that is by using Daily Harvest because it makes uh, it easy to eat well. They deliver thoughtfully sourced chef 
chef crafted food right to my door, which is amazing. And everything can be prepared in five minutes or less. Daily Harvest is something that you can enjoy uh, year round as a quick solution to get the fruits and vegetables that you need every day. You can choose from 65 different options like smoothies, hearty soups, harvest bowls, overnight oats. My husband loves the overnight oats. I typically stick with the smoothie, uh, smoothies. <laughs> Each recipe, it takes one step to prepare with room to make uh, make them your own. So if like you want to add more vegetables or more fruit, you can do that. Add your favorite milk. I use almond milk uh, to blend up a smoothie or heat up a harvest bowl and top it with avocado or fried egg, which sounds amazing. Uh, whether you are at home, at your desk, or on the go, Daily Harvest is the easiest way to have a delicious and nutritious meal or snack. Go to dailyharvest.com, enter promo code RELATABLE. That is dailyharvest.com, promo code RELATABLE, R-E-L-A-T-A-B-L-E. To get $25 off your first box is already pretty affordable, but you get $25 off your first box is a great deal. Promo code RELATABLE for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. That is dailyharvest.com. Join me in a healthier 2020. Okay, so really the point of this episode, what I planned for this episode to be about was about reflecting, like I said, and looking back at some of the things that you have learned from this year or the things that you have experienced, maybe the things that you were worried about or that you feared would not turn out well and either you were right or you were wrong about that, but you're still here and how God guided you through those things. I think it's so important for us to reflect. Obviously, the majority of this year for me I guess not the majority, half the year was spent with me pregnant. The second half was spent with me being a mom. There's a lot of fear and anxiety that came along for me with motherhood and pregnancy, but God has been extremely faithful in um, (laughs) allowing me or empowering me to be disciplined in taking the thoughts of fear and anxiety that I have and surrendering them to him so he can replace them uh, with perfect peace. God does give us the peace that passes all understanding. He is a God of order, not a God of chaos. He is a God of clarity, not a God of confusion. That doesn't mean that we can always discern his will, but it does mean that these uh, constant thoughts that sometimes I battle of the worst case scenario and what if, what if, what if, they're not from him. They're not from him because they are not productive. They don't push me to glorify him, to trust him, to worship him. They push me into really self-worship because I am thinking that I'm in control of everything and I'm picturing the future without the grace and provision of God. And I can know for sure that that is not of him. So as I look back at all the fears that I have surrounding birth and my birth, the birth of my child, besides having her, which was awesome, wasn't great ended in a C-section. So just totally was not uh, what I expected at all. So there were a lot of fears that actually came true in that. But I can look back and I can see uh, how God was with me in that, how there was a peace and assurance even when things weren't going my way. And then afterwards, those days when you're postpartum and you're so hormonal and you're like, oh my gosh, I just love this child so much. I would do anything for her. And I'm so scared. What if someone tries to hurt her? And how can I protect her from all of these things? God leads you through that too. And in the moment, it seems like these fears are just going to consume and overwhelm you and you're never going to be able to leave your house. And yet God is so gentle and so relentless in teaching us trust and teaching us self-denial. I actually posted a few weeks ago that 
one thing that I just love about marriage and motherhood is that it shows us the necessity and how to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses. Obviously, we do that in following Christ, no matter what stage of life that we're in. But marriage has a way of revealing selfishness about ourselves that we didn't notice when we were single, that we didn't notice when we were living by ourselves and going about our days, how we want to go about them. Uh are following our own schedules without consideration of really anyone else except maybe a cursory thought towards our roommate or something like that. But when you get married, uh, everything you do is with consideration of the other person or it should be. And there are many times when you lay down your pride, you lay down your own desires, your own needs, even for the sake of someone else, you sacrifice your own wants and your own priorities for the comfort and the happiness and the service of someone else, because that's what love is. And Ephesians 5, says that husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Christ died for the church and husband and wives are supposed to love their husbands or respect their husbands, serve their husbands, submit to their husbands uh, as to the Lord, which is a pretty amazing statement. But in a godly marriage, which every marriage, a Christian marriage or not, is imperfect and goes through difficult seasons because you are two people who sin. And so, but a godly marriage, when it is resting on the bedrock of Christ, the husband is gladly, is gladly serving his wife, laying his life and his preferences down for his wife and his family. And the woman is gladly and happily respecting and submitting to the authority of her husband. I know that sounds so crazy in this day and age. Like I hear it come out of my mouth and I can just also hear in the background, the feminist shrieking behind me. Um, but that is, that is what we were called to in that dynamic, which is so countercultural and so against both of our natural tendencies, the husband and the wife to submit to one another in their own unique ways, uh, because of how unique and different that dynamic is from the rest of the world. It reveals our selfishness because we are naturally prideful. We are naturally looking out for what is best for us, for our own interests. No matter how much you might struggle with self-loathing, you're always looking out for your own best interests. That's just what we wake up doing. That's what we were born doing. And God tells us something radical by telling us to deny ourselves. And especially in the context of marriage, if you are going to make this marriage work, it requires uh, not self-love, but it requires self-sacrifice. And you realize how hard that is because of how selfish you are. And then motherhood uh, does the same thing and it takes it to a whole other level. And you are poured out more than you ever thought possible. You thought that you lay your preferences down and your and your priorities down and your self-interest down when you got married and then you become a mom and you're like, okay, so everything, everything in my life is secondary to this child and you gladly do it because you love them. You love them so much, but that doesn't mean it's not difficult. It doesn't mean it's not tiring as I'm doing this podcast right now. I have a raging headache and I'm so tired and I've drank like probably three cups of coffee and I am still, I just want to take a nap so badly. That doesn't mean that I'm not joyful and so grateful for the privilege of being a mom. But of course, it requires it requires more than I am able to give, which is why I'm so thankful for the strength of the Holy Spirit. As we say a lot on this podcast, uh, contrary to what the world tells us, uh, you are not enough. You will never be enough. And that's okay because God is. God made you 
not enough. If you were enough, uh, you wouldn't need him. If you were enough, you wouldn't need Jesus to die on the cross for you. You wouldn't need Jesus to fight for you. But the entire Bible is a narrative of man's inadequacy and man's insufficiency, man's not enoughness and God's glorious enoughness and sufficiency and adequacy and his willingness and his eagerness to be our everything. And so marriage and motherhood, especially motherhood, I would say have taught me to um, be okay with my insufficiency and be okay with my not-enoughness to embrace it, realizing that God's power is perfected in my weakness. And so that's one thing that I've learned this year and I'm thankful for it. As hard as it can be, I'm so thankful for it. And so I also encourage you to reflect back uh, on this year. What has God taught you? What are the things that you were scared of? What are the things that you worried about that maybe turned out to be absolutely nothing? And that can serve as a lesson in this year to come that are going to be filled with worries, no doubt. Jesus says that tomorrow is sufficient for its own trouble. Just worry about today. Um, what can you What can you look at in your own life where wow, that thing that you thought was going to be such a big deal ended up not being a big deal at all. It actually ended up turning into nothing and you allowed this anxiety to snowball in your mind and it turned out to be not important or something that did happen that was even worse than you expected or bigger than you expected and you thought that you were never going to be able to recover, never be able to get out of it. And yet God gave you a way, as the Bible says, to stand up under it that has to do with temptation in that particular verse. But um, maybe it was a temptation or God just strengthened you and bolstered you in the midst of a trial or a tribulation or whatever, whatever it was. Um, what are those things that happened this year that you can praise God for? And there are always things that we can praise God for because he sent his son to die for us. And even if nothing else in our life seems to be going right, that is absolutely sufficient for us to praise him for. I also want us to consider like I've, I've been thinking about things that I've kind of changed my mind on. Over the past year, in the past couple of years, as I have um, read my Bible more, as I've studied more, as I've listened to more voices, I there are a lot of things that I have learned theologically over the past few years of my life that I just didn't know or didn't understand. And it's made me realize how I need to do a much, much better job of giving people grace for the theological views that maybe I disagree with or the moral or whatever views that they have right now that I disagree with because I don't know where they are in their life. Like I don't know what point of sanctification um, that they are in right now. I I don't know. I, and so I think back to things that I once believed, like I think I've said this on the podcast before, that I used to say, well, God can't drive a parked car, so you have to be moving in order for God to use you. Anytime you start a phrase with God can't, you need to check yourself because God obviously can do anything. And that kind of falls in line with the unbiblical belief that God only helps those who help themselves. And uh, we know that's not true. God helps those who can't help themselves and who won't help themselves, but who, as I said, rely on his sufficiency and his strength. Um, so I believed things like that. I used to believe at one point that it was that I supported abortion in not supported, but I thought abortion was okay in instances of rape and incest. I believed that a few years ago. Why? Because I hadn't thought about it. And so 
before I judge someone for believing that now, maybe I need to consider that they are where I was a few years ago, that maybe they hadn't thought about it yet, that they really are pro-life, but they just haven't thought all the way through that. I want to do a better job of giving people the benefit of the doubt when we disagree or when it maybe seems like their beliefs are immature, rather than jumping the gun and thinking, well, they're just wrong because they don't read their Bible or they don't, you know, whatever it is, whatever judgmental thought might pop into our prideful minds. Um, because I can think back to the things that I've believed while I've been a Christian, while I've been a conservative that are unbiblical, that are uh, illogical, that are immoral in a lot of ways. And uh, I think that we can all do a better job of giving each other grace in that. And there are times, I'm sure, well, I know that throughout this year where I've been too harsh, where I've been too judgmental, um, there are probably times when I've been the opposite end of that, maybe where I haven't cared about truth enough, where I haven't been um, direct enough about things. And my desire is always to pursue truth. And there are many times that I don't do that or don't do that correctly. But I was just thinking the other day about some things that I used to believe that I just don't believe anymore. Like there's just been a lot of things that I've dug into this year theologically about whether it's predestination or spiritual gifts or things that I've really just learned recently. And I've only pretty recently, like in the past few years, been able to use the Bible to uh, really strongly support my political views. Not that I use the Bible in order to do that, but allow the Bible to inform my political views and to say, okay, I believe this. Is it in line with scripture? And to be able to really work through that. That's been a pretty recent, in the past few years at least, development in my life. Whereas before I probably, you know, I held spiritual beliefs. I held uh, some political beliefs, but I didn't really know how to to link those. And that's part of why I started this podcast. So we could be doing those things together because I think it's so important for a cohesive worldview. But when we meet people that aren't there yet, that maybe have some inherently contradictory views, um, may we, may I, may I be more gracious. Now, that does not mean that I don't speak truth because obviously I'm very direct on this podcast that I don't believe that progressivism aligns with, aligns with biblical Christianity. And I don't at all because progressivism is a religion in and of itself and a religion that contradicts biblical Christianity. Uh, so I'm not afraid to say that and I'm not going to stop saying that, but that doesn't mean that I should, um, shouldn't give those people grace and understand that I don't know where they are in sanctification and in gaining wisdom. And thankfully, thankfully God does. Thankfully he judges the heart and, um, we can trust him to be just. So that was just my encouragement to you. I know that this episode was a little bit all over the place, uh, but I appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much that we are over 200 episodes now. Thank you so much for listening to Relatable in 2020 or in 2019. You will be listening in 2020. I'm just directing you to listen in 2020. Uh, but thank you so much for everything, for listening, for messaging, for emailing, for being a part of this, um, for being a part of this podcast. I am so thankful for it. And I will see you back next year. Ha ha ha. 